Hello there, and welcome to my corner. Today, it's the Super Bowl, and I know a lot of people are football fans. Myself, I am not. But with such a big event, I can't ignore all the facts it has. The day of the Super Bowl game, known as Super Bowl Sunday, has evolved into an unofficial American holiday, with viewing parties held in homes, taverns, and restaurants throughout the country. The week prior to the game is highlighted by extensive media buildup and a festival atmosphere in the host city. The game itself is accompanied by elaborate pre-game and halftime ceremonies and entertainment. All Super Bowls since the first in 1967 have been sellouts and a consistent TV ratings leaders, with many Super Bowls amongst the highest rated televised sporting events of all time. As a result, commercial time during the game is the most expensive of the year. For an example, in 2016, a 30-second spot cost approximately $4.8 million. The high-profile advertisements have featured celebrities and noted filmmakers as well as new technologies in hopes of making an impression on the huge Super Bowl audience. Since the 1980s, media scrutiny of and public interest in Super Bowl commercials have nearly matched that accorded to the game itself. That means just as many people who tune into the game just tune in for commercials themselves. The most expensive commercial was from Amazon in 2018. Amazon forked over $14.9 million for a 90-second ad for the Amazon Echo. Alexa, Amazon's virtual assistant, loses her voice. Gordon Ramsay, Cardi B, Rebel Wilson, and Sir Anthony Hopkins later all offer their own voices as a replacement. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is also in the ad. I mean, if you pay $14 million for an ad, you might as well be in it. Have you ever noticed when numbering the Super Bowls, they use Roman numerals? You've surely seen it everywhere you've looked as the Super Bowl approached. LV. Those two letters accompanying this year's Super Bowl everywhere because it's Super Bowl LV. No, it's not Las Vegas. And what fun would it be during a global pandemic? Honestly, still probably pretty fun. Maybe not that safe, though. LV, you probably know that it's a number being displayed in Roman numerals. But what number? And why Roman numerals? Why does the NFL do this? There may never be an answer to why the NFL does what it does. But at least LV is a factual, easy answer once you get to know Roman numerals. The Roman numerals were adopted to clarify any confusion that may occur because the NFL championship game, the Super Bowl, is played in the year following a chronologically recorded season. Numerals 1 through 4 were added later for the first four Super Bowls. So that explains why the NFL doesn't refer to each Super Bowl by year. The 2020 regular season features its Super Bowl in 2021 for an example. What's less obvious from that explanation is why the NFL doesn't just use the numerals known as Arabic we're all used to. Super Bowl 55, for an example, just means it's the 55th Super Bowl and doesn't have anything to do with 2020, 2021, or 2055 for that matter. That just seems like it would be straightforward enough. In 2014, the NFL announced Super Bowl 50 would be displayed with Arabic numerals instead of Roman numerals. It was a logical one-year exception, because who would have wanted to play in a Super Bowl L? When they developed the Super Bowl XL logo, that was the first time they looked at the letter L. NFL Vice President of Brand and Creative Jamie Weston said at the time, 
Up until that point, we had only worked with X's, V's, and I's. And at that moment, that was when we started to wonder, what will happen when we get to 50? The league returned to Roman numerals for Super Bowl 51, LI. The next three Super Bowls to be played in years that only featured one letter would be scheduled as Super Bowls 100, 500, and 1000. Super Bowl C, D, and M respectively. Otherwise, it'll be multiple letters depicting Roman numeral values for each Super Bowl going forward. Anything to keep the Roman Empire alive, right? So what about the pregame? What's that all about? The pregame show is now a household staple. For some, the pregame show is just as important as the Super Bowl. It wasn't until 1976 that it was actually broadcast on TV. The first pregame show featured a release of 4,000 pigeons. Nowadays, things like celebrities and fighter jets tend to be the stars of the show. The networks that broadcast the NFL were the first networks to create and air pregame shows. CBS was the first to broadcast a sports pregame show in 1964 when the network launched a 15-minute regional sports program that interviewed players, coaches, and featured news about the league. The show aired immediately before the games on CBS. The shows originated in studio and live from the fields and featured broadcaster Jack Buck. In 1967, the show grew to 30 minutes in length and in 1976 aired a new 90-minute Super Bowl special before Super Bowl X. The show moved to two hours long in 1984 and featured 11 broadcasters, 13 producers, and four directors. Fox created its own pregame show when it won the rights to broadcast NFL games in 1984. The network hired James Brown to host the show, Fox NFL Sunday, and brought in analysts such as Terry Bradshaw to lead the coverage. In 2006, Brown left the network to return to CBS to host their own pregame show, NFL Today. NBC launched its own version of the pregame show, Grandstand, in 1975, and not only featured NFL programming, but other sporting events around the nation. The show led up to the NFL's 1 p.m. games, but covered college football, golf, tennis, and many other sports and topics. The network hired Jack Buck to host the show, and the show didn't just preview that day's NFL games, but did investigate pieces on variety of topics. Pre-game shows generally run for 30 minutes to an hour, though on special occasions, such as championship games, it's not uncommon to air longer pre-game shows, with the Super Bowl now typically airing one across the entire afternoon prior to its evening kickoff. While most pre-game shows are done in a studio, sometimes with live shots to someone in the event itself, some shows travel to certain locations to broadcast. A notable example is ESPN's College Game Day pregame show, which broadcasts live from various college campuses for football and basketball games. We can't talk about the Super Bowl without talking about the food. As you can imagine, there will be lots of food at both the game and at the homes of viewers around the world. Large amounts of food are consumed during the Super Bowl, only second to Thanksgiving. Chicken wings, chips, salsa, and pizza are at the top of the list as the most consumed food. Just how much food? Well, an estimated 28 million pounds of chips, 1.2 million chicken wings, and more than 48 million pizzas will be served. What about the pouring of the Gatorade? The winning coaches normally get what is finally referred to as a Gatorade shower. It is highly contested what year this tradition started. 
Some claim it was the Chicago Bears pouring Gatorade over Mike Dicta back in 1984 after they beat the Vikings in a regular season game. Another claim is in 1985 when the New York Giants beat the Redskins, also in a regular season game. We do know that Coach Parcells was the first to get a Gatorade shower at the Super Bowl when the Giants won in 1987. There are even bets to which color the Gatorade will be. This year, the money is on orange, a repeat from last year's color. Speaking of bets, some will be watching the game just to bet on it. The Super Bowl is typically the most bet on sport each year. Last year, an estimated $99 million was bet legally, and who knows how much more was bet illegally. You can bet just on about anything, from how quickly the first score will be made to what the longest field goal will be. I've got a bet going myself just to keep things interesting. Even the president gets involved. It is a decades old tradition that the president of the United States calls the Super Bowl winners. The winning team also gets a visit to the White House with the get behind the scenes tour. The Super Bowl champions in 1969, the New York Jets were the first ones to start the tradition of touring the White House after winning the big game. And lastly, Super Bowl superstitions. They are popular with hardcore fans. There are countless sports superstitions. As rational as we are people, we do believe that all things must remain constant to get the same result. Like lucky attire, wearing favorite team jerseys, t-shirts, beanies, cap, pajamas, ponchos, underwear, socks, or even blankets. Some people won't even wash them an entire season, afraid that they will wash away their team's luck. And of course, there are various combinations of pajamas, underwear plus socks, jerseys plus beanies, and etc. Many people use various items to make up their perfect lucky outfit, like wearing certain lucky colors or numbers, or even their lucky hat. This can of course go under attire, but I thought it was worth mentioning on its own because many are convinced that they have to wear their team cap a certain way cap forward, cap backwards, some even flip their cap forwards to backwards depending on if their team is ahead or behind at the time, or offense or defense. Apparently, it's a very precise strategy for many. And like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory show, it's about location, location, location. Sitting in the same chair or the same spot on the couch, or watching the game in the same sports bar or restaurant you always go to, at times, it goes deeper in as sitting with the same people in the same place you did throughout the season, or some prefer to sit alone in their lucky spot so they can concentrate. Others feel they have to sit in a certain position, legs crossed, reclining, or left leg under their right leg, for an example. Some other things include not shaving before a game, eating certain foods before or during a game. Others won't even eat at all praying, even for those that are not religious. Some people want no talking during a game, where others like screaming the entire game. And walking away, this is perhaps the most painful and loyal fan of them all. One that will walk away from watching the Super Bowl if their team is down, because he or she feels that they are the cause of the bad luck. The list goes on with rituals that fans feel they must do to avoid a catastrophe for their team. Another interesting superstition after the game has been played has to do with the stock market. It is believed that if an NFC team wins, the market and economy will do better during the year. 
So who are you rooting for? Will you be taking part in any of the superstitions mentioned? Like wearing the same unwashed socks from the winning season? Or not shaving before the Super Bowl? I'd love to hear from you. And that's my fun fact. Thanks for walking over.